Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on self worst. What's up, people? Hi, it's springtime. We made it. We did it. Sun's going down after seven. Doesn't seem to be another uh, snowstorm on the horizon, knock on wood. We'll see. Still could be. You never know. But seems pretty nice. We got the tulips and the daffodils. They're all popping. The tree buds are about to pop. It's all coming. So we're feeling pretty good. Other than possible... Uh, no-fly zone leading to World War III, leading to nuclear annihilation, kind of uh, harsh in the springtime mellow a little bit. Gotta say, it's a bit of a buzzkill. Don't really like thinking about it. Still trying to kind of uh, avoid it, honestly. If you've been following the show, that's what I've been sort of concerned about lately. Because yeah, I don't know why I have a bit of a uh, obsession with Armageddon, end of days, doom, inescapable death. But hey, it's springtime. The birds are chirping. They're singing their horny songs. Days are getting longer. Weather's getting nicer. You can breathe in through your nostrils and just smell that spring air. Smell everything thawing out. So we'll try and enjoy that while we can, I guess. Uh, I'm still on my Twitter hiatus. That is actually kind of helping uh, with my mental state. But I still am going. Here's what I did. I took Twitter, the app, off of my phone. But that doesn't mean that I can't log in on a web browser on my phone. Which essentially is the same thing. Just not as smooth. I got to jump through a little more hoops and it stops me. It does slow me down and I do get on it less. I don't know. You make it one step harder. You make it me do. You made me tap one more thing on my phone and I don't do it because that's how lazy I am. And I can use that to my advantage, but I still will get on it from time to time. Just to check intermittently like okay how much time do we got we got 22 minutes before they hit we got we got a couple of days before things really pop off things are getting bad what, what's happening what's going on how long do I have to live is basically the question that I'm asking every time that I check into Twitter or any news site not super healthy not a great way to conduct your life, which is why I'm avoiding it. And I was doing that this afternoon. I was in Prospect Park. I was working. I was not spending a leisurely weekday out strolling through the park. I was at work. And uh, I got on my phone, caught myself doom scrolling, and then I heard a little clutter out on one of the paved pathways. And I heard, you know, a, a Park Slope mom. 
oh, uh, uh, Pythagoras or whatever your little precocious Park Slope name is. Are you okay? And I looked up and there was a kid picking himself up off the ground and riding his little scooter. And he had just face planted and I missed it because I was doom scrolling. You see, eyes and ears, presence, be here now. If I had been not on my phone, I would have seen that kid eat shit and it would have made my day. Instead, I was was checking in on nothing. What are you going to do? Trying to live my life. I saw the Batman. It was pretty good. I don't know. That's long. Everybody's, that's the main complaint. Everybody's like, oh God, it's so long. Yeah, it's long. I don't know. Yes, it's long. But what, 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 what do you want? Movies are long now. All movies are fucking crazy long. It's annoying. I don't love it. But if you're ready for it, you know, if you wear a diaper to the theater, then it's chill. I'm glad us depressed millennials finally have a Batman. We finally got a depressed millennial Batman who's unsure of himself and not really sure he's even doing any good. Just emo as fuck. Walking around looking like Connor Oberst. We got an incel Riddler having a parasocial relationship. I don't think it here's here's my favorite thing about the Batman, the new one. Or one of my favorite things. And I don't think this is spoiling anything. It's revealed that Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, has a history of mental illness in his family. And I'm like, of course he does. That totally makes sense. He's obviously crazy. And they play up the, like, oh, he's very depressed and traumatized in this one. Because obviously, like, that's the main thing about his character. And it's not a projection to say that. I know people get annoyed sometimes when they're, like, projecting uh, mental illnesses on every character in The Office or The Great British Bake Off or whatever. But the, in this case, it's a pretty clear cut. Like, that's, that's kind of what it's a metaphor for, or it could be used as a metaphor for that. So that was cool. I don't know. I liked it. I, I'm going out and living my life. I'm seeing things. I'm doing stuff. I'm out in the world trying to enjoy the nice weather, trying to enjoy being around people while we're between variants and between world wars, as it were. That's all you can do. It's where I'm at. Anyway, this week, we're talking to Kennedy Cooper. Uh, I, I know them through uh, the podcast, uh, Worst Week Yet. We've had uh, several guests on the show recently. Andrew Hillary, Maria Guido, 
uh, Deanna Mackey, all guests of the show. And I was like, you know what? I need to have Kennedy Cooper on as well. They're also real funny and just interesting. It's a real interesting person. And uh, I don't know. The interview speaks for itself, honestly. So I'm just going to let it roll. And I've been speaking for myself. I've been going on for like eight minutes. So why don't we start the show? And, uh, you know, I'll tell you all the stuff at the end. The the, the housekeeping, the socials, uh, all that stuff. Huh? Why don't we just go to the thing? Why don't we just... (laughs) Why don't we just get this over with? I hope that nobody's going into listening to this podcast with that attitude. Let's just fucking get through it. I hope that you're looking forward to it and you're like, oh boy, a new episode of my favorite podcast with my best friend, my favorite guy, Brad Pearson. The self-worst podcast, my favorite. It gets me through my week. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to go to the, we're going to go to the, we're going to go to the interview now. Okay. Bye. Okay. All okay. right. So, yeah, we are talking to Kennedy Cooper. Kennedy, you're a, uh, a writer, a Twitter personality, a podcaster, and uh, that's, I mean, that's how I know you. I know you from Worst Week Yet and from Twitter. Um, it, how, how else should the world know you? A uh, shit poster. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I really say that because, it, I mean, at this point, I'm kind of a professional shit poster. Like right. My shit posting helped me get a shit posting job. And now I help like campaigns and left leading orgs and corporations do shit posting. Well, that's great. Shit posted your way into a job. I actually did. <laughs> how how did you um meet uh Andrew and all of them? Um yeah, so worst week, um I really like those guys. I just kinda I don't even remember exactly how we started collaborating now because it's been a while. But uh, we just started getting together to uh, do some content. Um, I think originally it was I went on their show and then they went on a show that I was doing at the time. I think that was the order. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I've had them both on a show that I do right now called the Sentai Truther Club, which is a Power Rangers podcast. <laughs> uh, and uh, we look at the Power Rangers from kind of a left leaning somewhat queer perspective etc uh the entire universe of the power rangers or one specific yes, all of it okay we've watched so much power rangers <laughs> wow and i express. mean do you do you like legit like the power rangers was that like a thing uh yeah when you were a kid you were in i think i was a little too old for it maybe when it started and i was kind of like yeah I'm, I'm i'm moving on with my life but um i, I, I see the at- appeal I was at just the right age. Mm. Um, I'm 32 now. Mm-hmm. I was born in 1990. Yep, that's perfect. Um, and so uh, the Power Rangers was huge right when I was like six, seven. Yeah. You know, because the first the first season of Power Rangers comes out in like 1994, I think. Um, and then it like slowly becomes this big phenomenon. And so then by the time I'm watching it as a kid, it's huge. Everyone loves the Power Rangers. It's right. everywhere all the time. And so it's very easy for me to access uh so yeah i loved that as a kid it was very important to me um it actually like uh 
it, it helped me develop like confidence in myself and things like that. Watching that show, it was a it was a show that instilled positive values in me as a child. Hmm. So that's kind of why I was interested to revisit it because I can't say that for a lot of the shit that I watch. Yeah, I mean, I think there. I, I, I guess I see what you're saying with that with the idea of having a um like a superpower or like an alter ego and you're just like a regular high school kid, but then there is this part of you that's, you know, supercharged and powerful and can, you know, I, I think kids need those sorts of stories because to feel kind of weak and small and powerless is, you know, not good for you. It doesn't help. Doesn't, doesn't really help you develop. You have to like, like sort of pretend in a way that you're indestructible. Um, yeah. And get, I grew just to up get through childhood. Yeah, I grew up real poor and real powerless in a lot of ways. Uh, and so something like that was good for me. It was aspirational on a number of levels. It also, it was something that I looked up to because it's a show that's made for kids, but it revolves around like older teenagers. Yeah. Like 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds are generally like the age of the Power Rangers. And so for me as a kid who was like, in some ways desperate to grow up because I was growing up very poor and there were a lot of rough things about my childhood. Um, it was like, I'm watching these like, these like 16 year old badasses who have superpowers fighting aliens. I'm thinking, God, I can't wait to grow up and have that kind of ability to just take charge of the world like that. Right. When you became a teenager and, and did not, I assume, become a Power Ranger, um, how was that? How did, you know, did you deal with that blow well? You know, my teenage years were pretty good Yeah. in a lot of ways. They, they definitely had their ups and downs, and I don't want to make it sound perfect because I was still dealing with things that uh, young people shouldn't have to deal with. <laughs> right. Can you talk more about that? You, you uh, grew up very poor, and, and uh, you know, I, I think that has a, a, an immense effect on, on people's uh, perspective on the world, mental health, sense of worth and value, and just like mm -hmm. where they can even take their lives. So, um, yeah, I grew up, um, especially when I was very young, we were extremely poor. And I really need to emphasize extremely poor because like, I just don't think a lot of people understand what I'm talking about. And like, what I'm talking about is like, we lived in a house that didn't have um, electricity or running water for a time in Kentucky Wow. Uh, when I was a kid. And we put in electricity and running water slowly over time ourselves to that house. And my parents did own it, which is awesome. But at the same time, they owned a house that at the time was valueless. Right. <laughs> you got under like it wasn't like now where even like the most podunk houses go for like 100K. Like this, this was like a shitty farmhouse in Kentucky that they were able to buy for like nothing for like maybe $10,000. I swear to God, it had right. to be that cheap, you know? Um, and it was through stuff like that that they were able to get ahead some. And like by the time I was a teenager, things weren't so bad, but literally the house after that too didn't have running water that we moved into. Wow. That was in Ohio. Um, and so we lived in that house and- Just like straight up didn't have plumbing or it didn't have its water it turned on? Did not have proper plumbing at all, basically. Wow. Uh, we plumbed that house. Uh, it had a little tiny bit of plumbing in the kitchen, but it was fucked up and it was all run off this well, which we did end up running the water off of, but it was like everything was old and completely fucked up. And there was no, uh, you know, no plumbed bathroom, nothing when we moved in. 
And so that's the kind of stuff that I was dealing with as a, as a young child. And that definitely left really strong impressions on me. Um, because, you know, you're, you're embarrassed of, of the poverty. Uh, even if you don't really understand it that clearly, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, you don't want to have people over to your house. Right. Like, yeah. if you're like the kid that like whose house is like fucked up and like you have to like go to an outhouse if you're there. Yeah. Like that's fucking weird to a lot of people. And so, you know, I had an, I had a few friends growing up that were also really poor. And so we understood each other. We didn't have to explain things to each other. Right. Um, but uh, but a lot of people, yeah, it'd be like, I don't, you know, I only want to hang out with people in public places. I don't ever want you to come to my house, you know, and a lot of it had to do with the poverty. Also, though, my household was somewhat abusive. <laughs> so it was right. like, I really don't want anybody coming to my house that much, you know. And so for a lot of my childhood, I really didn't have I really wouldn't have people over that much or things like that. I was really embarrassed to do anything like that. Also, I only had like a few outfits that I was like comfortable wearing in public and things like that. And a lot of that stuff really left these strong impressions on me. Um, by my teenage years, we were a lot better off because of like a number of circumstances just kind of working out. And especially my dad had been able to just move up career wise, um, sort of by luck, <laughs> honestly. Um, and my mom had also done OK for herself. Uh, in some ways. And so it was like it career wise. And so there was a period of time by the time I was in high school where it was like we were kind of living a somewhat more middle class lifestyle. And I no longer had to be uh, as embarrassed by everything. And I no longer had to feel as ashamed of everything. And I could have nice things sometimes and things like that. And it was so those years were easier. Right. So I think even though uh, I didn't gain superpowers, I kind of felt like I had superpowers in my teenage years compared to my childhood because it was like, my family's no longer poor as fuck. Right. We go out to dinner sometimes. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What did you have to say? I mean, did you have like a, a like a line prepared for people like, hey, uh, you know, Kennedy, I want to come over to your house uh, and, you know, we'll we'll play video games or something. You have to explain like, I don't have a game system, nor do I have electricity, like, nor do I have a television or like anything, you know? Uh, or was it just like, was it, did you have to lie and cover it up or did you even want to go there? I, yeah. I mean, mostly you just be trying to cover it up for the most part. So it'd be like, uh, oh, well, but why, why don't we go over to your house? I heard you right. have blank, 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 or, you know, you, you know, you're just always trying to kind of just steer around that conversation a little bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, I, I did have other growing up, especially when I when we moved to Ohio, uh, the place where we lived in Ohio is one of the poorest places in the whole country. So um, which is why my parents could afford to buy a house there. Uh, and so. Uh, uh, and even that, I mean, as poor as we were, none of this would have happened if my dad hadn't lucked into a tiny bit of inheritance. Right. I just want to be clear about how the world works, y'all, right. you know, like. <laughs> Um, and it was like, you know, a very small, unexpected inheritance, but it still changed his life. Right. Right. And so, uh, uh, that was basically what pushed him over the edge to be able to buy one of the worst houses in one of the worst parts of the whole country. Wow. <laughs> um, what a windfall. something I'd love to be able to do now myself. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's like, I joke about 
how like they really weren't getting that much but also we live in even worse times in some ways how fucked up is that yeah. um so uh yeah so we we did when we moved to ohio we were living in this extremely poor place and that made it easier because again it was like a lot of people were experiencing extraordinary poverty around right them. and so uh you know um and there were times even where i felt like dang i'm not the worst person off in my friend group <laughs> wow you know because it was like things were that rough um and you know one thing that we almost never did even when i was a little kid was skip meals and i had friends that were absolutely doing that hmm. you know yeah i mean so i i did grow up fairly you know middle class and fairly comfortable but like so I'm in a place where I just have to kind of like imagine what that must have felt like, um, you know, growing up, I, I had a pretty lucky childhood, you know, with electricity, central air cable, you know, like not like great, but you know, we had a car and we had meals and yeah. it was yeah. all pretty solid, you know, like I, I had new clothes every fall for school. And, um, one thing I remember though, was just always feeling this, weird sense of because the town I grew up in uh was very mixed economically um and even like within school districts so there was this weird sense that like people were supposed to feel like kids were supposed to be feel ashamed of being poor um mm -hmm. which I never understood because I'm like but it's not their job. Like that's not their, you know, it just never, the way that it falls onto kids who were just born into this situation is just insane. Yeah, it, it really is. And I can say that like, it definitely left an effect on me. And I could say that everybody that I knew that was growing up in those situations, uh, some of them are really like, they have really deep, deep trauma and insecurities now because of that some of my friends you know they're it's like they're still kind of just running from that trauma to a large extent yeah. i've really embraced it the last few years i've made it a part of my podcasting and just something i talk about more that's been really good for me and mm. helpful but i see this like i say, just this aspect of just uh like i say people just kind of still running from that past a lot where it's like and i understand the feeling because it's you, you you're desperate not to go back to that yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, I mean, it's something that I see a lot in. Um, I mean, I think the closest example that I can pluck from my brain is like uh, people in music, especially like hip hop, like the, a lot of those performers grew up extremely poor and then they get a large chunk of money and fame and influence. And I think from the outside, a lot of people criticize uh, hip hop music for being materialistic and being about like, you know, cash and cars and blah, 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 about bitches, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, you have to understand that this was a condition that they grew up in. And, you know, I, I do understand the idea of buying into materialism and capitalism when you felt your entire upbringing that you were so completely cut off from it and now all of a sudden you have all of the things that you wanted. Yeah. Also, I think there's something kind of like unfair and telling of just like the stigma that's put on poor people. Um, 
uh, that like if if people grew up in like an upper middle class background and like they were always really comfortable growing up, but then they like sort of move towards the left as they get older and they think, well, you know, all these material things. It's like they're more judgmental of like the poor person who got rich and bought a Lamborghini than they are of their own background. And it's like, yeah, actually, I think you need to do some self-examining <laughs> because what you're judging people for is a type of luxury that even if you didn't know things of quite that level, you've always sort of understood and had some amount of access to. And I think that people who have always had a certain amount of access to luxury um, and comfort, uh, they sometimes tend to sort of have this, like I say, kind of judgmental attitude when it's like, you got to understand that the people that you're talking about uh, never experienced any of that, any of that, not even a little. Um, one of my favorite rappers, Young Thug, you know, he talks a lot about an extraordinarily painful and traumatic childhood in his music and in his interviews. I mean, something that most people can't imagine at all, something I can't imagine. And I've already explained that I went through some shit that was yeah. on another level compared to a lot of people. Um, how, how are you supposed to tell someone who managed to survive that and come into all this wealth? Oh, well, you're a piece of shit because you bought a nice house. Right. Like I, people really need to realize that like the the comfortable suburban neighborhood that, you know, a lot of folks who have passed these kind of judgments grew up in is more problematic. It's more systemically problematic. Right. And that, you know, uh, you can't you can't just jump on a poor person who gets wealth and is ex enjoying that and just judge them the same way that you would judge someone who's always known it what was it that um and when did you get, get like brought around to class consciousness um because i feel like that's something that just doesn't exist for a lot of people in kind of every class there's there's this veil that's pulled over our eyes as americans in regards to class uh coming from middle class background coming from a, a lower class background there is this idea that money is something that just it doesn't get talked about it's like the elephant in the room and it's really you have to educate yourself a lot on how economics work yeah i will say that you know one of the only advantages of the kind of you know rough poverty stricken crime ridden upbringing that i was in is that it did help me develop class consciousness a little bit easier because this stuff is when you're really poor the class is something that you're experiencing all the time in a negative way. And it's like, at some point you're going to acknowledge that. Right. Um, uh, and like, yeah. So it, I think it's interesting cause it's like, yeah, it is this elephant in the room, but then also it was like, I can definitely remember having conversations with some of the other kids that I grew up with that were also poor where we were like, why do our rich friends not want to talk about this shit? Right. Why do our rich family members not want to talk about this shit? Yeah. You know? Um, and so I will say that as I got more comfortable, as my family got like a little more comfortable towards like middle school and high school, especially, um, that I did though, like the blanket got pulled over my eyes to some extent. 
um, in terms of like, even though I had these formative experiences that were already making me more class consciousness than, or class conscious than some people would be, the minute I got that taste of comfort, it was really easy to just stop thinking about it. Right. And so for high school, I didn't think about this shit like at all, hardly. Um, and uh, yeah, I would say um, in college, uh, I had a number of formative experiences. I definitely started to move towards the left again actively, especially after a couple of years in college. And I didn't finish college, just a long story. Yeah, I, I at first I was just kind of like riding the wave, not thinking too much. But then as I started to think more about just like the world and my future and stuff, started to move towards the left pretty casually at first, not really like with a lot of intention. Um, and I would say one really formative experience in college was actually, and this is perfect for this conversation that we've had so far. Uh, so I'm in sociology class and we watched a video about class, mm -hmm. about social and economic class. It was a very good documentary, actually. I wish I could remember the name of it because it was actually very good and informative and made wasps look kind of like idiots and stuff too, which I like. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, uh, they're like, okay, at one point they're like, okay, we're going to show you one of the poorest places in the country. And they show the town I fucking lived in in Ohio. <laughs> they just show you your house. It, pre pretty much. <laughs> like, like they're literally showing like the neighborhood that was like one of the only neighborhoods that I was like, damn, I'm glad I don't live in that neighborhood. Right. You know, and I'm like, and I'm watching this just like, fuck, I used to, I used to have a friend that lived like back behind that place that they're showing right now. Oh my God. You know? And I'm just thinking about all this stuff. I would say that was a huge moment for me because I was like, fuck, I grew up so fucking poor. What right. the fuck? Like, I'm literally like, I'm an example on the screen right now for this class. They don't know it, but I know it. Like, you know? And uh, that was definitely a really formative experience. Um, I had some other formative experiences around that time. Um, I had a lot of friends die to like gang violence and drugs around that time also. And, uh, that's also the kind of thing that can make you more class conscious because uh, you're thinking about these people who some of them were like really amazing, incredible people. And they were never given an opportunity to show that to the world at all because of their socioeconomic class. Right. And then you just start to think about like how just incredibly fucked up that is. Um, and even just, I mean, like, I'm always hoping that like that part of my life is somewhat behind me, but even just like, you know, a little over a year ago, a really good friend of mine passed um, who had been struggling with meth addiction. Mm. And he was literally one of the most brilliant people I had ever known in my life. I know people always say this kind of shit about the dead, but this dude was a philosopher who wrote nonstop, incredible stuff, was thinking all the time, you know, had a master's in philosophy, had a degree in counseling also like really smart person yeah and had come from shit you know taken on massive debt to get these degrees and all that um and just you know people like that just get forgotten because they weren't you know right i mean the 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 victim blaming of society towards people in poverty, people with addiction issues. 
um, you know, the, the, the reason that, I don't know, that I wanted to have you on the show is because, like, you're an anomaly in that you became class conscious and coming from poverty and not just thinking well, I need to hustle harder. I need to grind harder. You know, and like all those people in my like hometown in Ohio uh, who grew up in such poverty, like maybe they should have uh, managed their finances better because I feel like that that's the answer that a lot of people give. And like, you know, with with friends who who struggle with addiction and whose lives are affected by all of that stuff, like, again, there is this stigma towards even the illness of addiction itself and it's seen as a moral failing and not a disease which it is well and it's a societal failing i mean every every friend that i ever lost to addiction they were failed by society yeah um and whether i lost them to addiction in the sense that they're truly gone forever or that they're just an addict out there on the streets that can't really be helped that easily by uh, most folks, um, the same is true. Like these people were failed by society. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not talking about my friends who grew up in comfortable, stable households. We're talking about my friends who grew up in abusive households. We're talking about my friends who were, you know, repeatedly unserviced by, you know, the schools, by their communities, things like that. Um, we're talking about like friends who were smart and should have had every reason to get ahead, but, you know, did poorly in school because of the shit that they had going on at home. Yeah. Like these people were all fundamentally failed by society first. It's a lot of trauma that you grew up with and that you carry with you. And now as an adult, you, uh, you know, delve into <laughs> Twitter and bad news and are constantly, I mean, Twitter, I have recently had to take Twitter off of my phone the last couple of weeks just cause like, it's just been too anxiety inducing. Um, so to sit in such kind of scary negativity, it seems like at all times and it just like, things just kind of fucking ratchet up. Um, how do you stop it from getting in your head or do you stop it? Does it, does it get in your head? Do you spiral? Well, first of all, I took five plus years entirely off of social media. Hmm. When? So from, from the age of like 22 ish. Okay. To like 27. Uh, I, basically did not do social media at all. I didn't even have a cell phone for some of that time. By choice, you just like decided like, I don't want this. Um, I lived in the middle of nowhere. So I, when I dropped out of college, I became a farmer and I, I did farming and construction. I did nothing but work with my hands for years in nature because uh, I was losing it. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so, uh, I lived in the middle of nowhere and cell service sucked anyway. <laughs> right. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm just not going to have a cell phone. Um, you know, why would I pay tons of money to me at the time? Especially it was tons of money because I lived this really low impact lifestyle where it's like, I eat a lot of food that I like grow or trade for or work for in some way. And I 
just like there wasn't like I was like kind of half outside the money economy in some respects. Right. So it was like I don't have tons of cash laying around. Um, you know, I've got food and I've got weed and I've got stuff like that, but I don't got cash. Right. <laughs> so like paying a cell phone bill was actually a bit of a burden. And I was just like, OK, fuck it. I don't have a cell phone. Um, and I had a what I, I did have an old iPhone for that I would just hook up to Wi-Fi and listen to music while I was farming and stuff. Um, because I did have Wi-Fi. <laughs> right. Uh, but like, uh, but I didn't really do much social media. Um, I, especially towards like the latter part of those years, like I really logged off of everything. And so for basically like three to five years, it was like, I'm, I'm just like not really doing social media almost at all. Uh, and that was really good. Yeah, I was going to ask, really like, good. what was that like? How great was that? Because, I mean, every time I let go of another um, app, like, I'm pretty much off Facebook now, and I don't miss it one bit. I've been off of Twitter. Not off-off, but, like, it's a not on my phone, so I just check in with it, like, twice a day. And I don't miss it whatsoever, <laughs> really. And, uh, you know, it's... It's it's a weird self-sustaining almost addiction where you feel like you need to keep scrolling and keep looking at things. Um, to me, it's almost like this weird sense of control that I feel like I should have over mm. world events. Like if I know <laughs> first that something really bad is developing in in you know the Ukraine or whatever, then then all somehow be safe from it but you won't like if, right. if, if like if we're about to get nuked i'd rather not fucking know to be perfectly honest because there's nothing i can do about it and like i'd rather just be like chilling having a conversation with you and just being like oh what that's really bright and then just gone you know like <laughs> that's it like i would rather not know that it's happening but yeah. yet i have this drive to want to uh be up to date on all of that and it just kills me it kills my fucking soul yeah you know uh rupert murdoch intentionally instilled that into all of us mm. uh that was his goal was to make people feel like uh if they weren't watching fox news they might miss information that would save their life essentially yeah and uh every news network has since copied that model um rupert murdoch started that in the 80s uh and so all of our media is geared to make us feel that way now. <sighs> it sucks. It sucks so <laughs> bad. He's still alive. He's still alive. Fucking Why? die. <laughs> sucks so bad. Yeah, it's just so, I mean, how do you manage mental health being on these apps and being, you know, like you said, more or less a professional shit poster at this time? So it's, it's, it's your life. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I would say that, you know, I, like I said, I took a really long time off and that helped me to come back to it with like a different attitude because I think, um, before I took the time off and I think a lot of people feel this way, social media had started to feel like this sort of essential part of my self-expression that if I did not fulfill it, that I was in some ways going to be missing out on things mm -hmm. um and so it felt like you know i had to let the world know what was going on with me and stuff and uh you know i had to like 
communicate all these things and blah blah uh and then if i didn't do that that i was sort of not um not fulfilling some kind of like obligation or ability to like be a complete person almost and uh i think it's easy to understand why you can end up feeling that way because there is this ability to like sort of document things that you're interested in or that you do or that you like or you think are funny on social media and then like that becomes this like record that people refer to and see as credible so there's there's a grain of truth but it's only a little it's only this little tiny bit yeah. <laughs> because realistically uh, in the years that I was off social media, I still had plenty of interesting opportunities and things come my way um, on a lot of different fronts. Uh, and not all of them worked out perfectly or anything like that. But still, it was just like in terms of like, are people figuring out who I am and what I can do and like approaching me to do interesting things? Yes, it's happening whether or not I'm on social media. That was something I found, you know, and so it's like, you don't have to have that constant living record to prove that you are who you say you are. Right. Um, and so I just didn't do that for a while and it was great. And then when I came back to it, it allowed me to have this totally new attitude towards it where I no longer felt that sort of obligation. Like, yes, it's, I don't know. It's like, there's this sort of like keeping up with appearances aspect to social media that's really important for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, staying on top like, of the lingo, the mortification yeah. of posting an old meme, like even just like a meme that's like a few months old, like the two guys on the bus and one's frowning, one's smiling from like last fall. Like if you post that now, that's like gauche, you know, it just like keeping up <laughs> on top of all of that stuff is just like, God damn, how do you even... Yeah, I don't know. I find that stuff just purely amusing now. I mean, that's the other thing is like there are so, parts of it that are genuinely fun and um and and funny. Like some of the funniest shit I've ever read is also on Twitter, so that's another reason why I keep going back to it because it's simultaneously kind of like it's quite fun and I think memes are fucking hilarious and great. I love memes. Um and I love shit posts and I love the evolution of memes, you know, from like mm -hmm. the dawn of uh, like impact font, top text, bottom text memes. I think I think like the history, the development of how that's all worked over the Internet is a really cool and beautiful anthropological thing. And yet it also comes with all this other garbage and gives me like literal panic attacks, you know, <laughs> like so I, I it's really hard to balance it correctly, I think. Yeah, it's hard for me to even fully describe like all the ways in which it's different for me now and I'm able to like not have those kind of responses to it cuz I definitely I used to be like very anxious about social media. Mm -hmm. Uh and it's not like that kind of I've solved that kind of anxiety because like I'm the kind of person that's very anxious when I'm waiting for a message back and stuff like that. Oh uh, yeah. Like, I'm still that kind of person sending a risky I, text and not getting a, not getting a response immediately. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm still that kind of person that has those kind of anxieties, but they don't really apply to social media for the most part for me anymore. And the other thing I find about, it, I just treat it a lot like a game 
And sometimes I'm playing a video game and it starts to kind of stress me out. And when I start to feel that way about a game, I usually turn it off. Ah, <laughs> see, that's the difference between you and me. Cause like, I, I mean, I remember having a, a Sega Genesis when I was a kid and having a handful of games that would just make me mad because I couldn't beat them. They were too hard. And there was this weird relationship I'd have with them where I would like play the first few levels and then start over because like it would get to this point where like I would hit this point where I just couldn't beat it no matter how hard it was. And mm -hmm. I would be like screaming in my room and my parents would come in and just be like, we're going to take this away from you because it's just a stupid game and it's upsetting you. And then I would get even more upset and just be like, no, it's not a stupid game. I have to beat this. And like, you know, like there's like, it was so important to me to, to like smite this game for no reason. Um, that like, I've had a very complicated relationship with video games. I only just started playing video games again in the last couple of weeks. Like right when I got off of Twitter, in fact, I, I signed up for Steam and I got a Disco Elysium, which has been really fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, it's a complicated relationship, you know, that that I think it, it does tie in with um, with social media because it is like a weird dopamine lever. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's like that. One of my favorite tweets of all time is that one that's like, uh, there seem to be a lot of ADHD people on this website. Yeah, do you think that something about the dopamine slot machine website attracts ADHD people? Yeah, uh, and as a, a very ADHD person, that's how I feel. But yeah, it's it is like a game to me in a lot of ways. Um, uh, it's a game that you have to be aware can have like real life consequences. So you can't get like, so into the idea, Oh, it's just a game that you just start like doing something like blatantly irresponsible maybe, right. you know, but at the same time, like it is a game. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I also, you know, sometimes you play sports where people could get hurt. You have to be aware of these things and try to prevent sure. it. Right. Like, uh, so Twitter is maybe like a little more of a full contact sport than a video game <laughs> in some ways, as funny right. as that sounds, because you really can like cause actual problems. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, like most of it's just silly. Um, and like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a game. Um, I, I'm also careful though about like, I don't, I don't ride things that could be too important on Twitter, I guess is one way I could put it. Like I don't, uh, I don't air out my like most extreme personal dramas mm -hmm. on Twitter because like that just feels like a way to create like tension with people, some of whom will see it on Twitter yeah, or things like that, you know? And like, I, I think things like that honestly help. Like it's very tempting and it's very cathartic sometimes to just want to like get on Twitter and bitch. And sometimes it's the right thing to do. Um, like uh, there's one particular ex friend that took advantage of me a lot during the pandemic that occasionally I fucking subtweet about because fuck that person, you know? Right. But like for the most part, I try to, I try to not do a lot of that stuff. Cause it's not, I don't feel like it's very good. And I, I yeah, think you're, things like that. Yeah. As, as um, you know, negative, as the lens is through like, I think 
the accounts we both follow and just the state of the world, your account is fairly it's positive and like as positive as you can be. And, um, you know, I, I do, I've had to unfollow a lot of accounts that just like engage in like a lot of like reply guy shit and just like, you know, just angrily tweet at, at people because it's just too much. Like, again, like I absorb that energy. I don't need more of that anger. I don't need more of that like animosity, even if like, you know, it does feel good for a second to, you know, like uh, tell a politician to like go fuck themselves or whatever. And like, you know, like make fun of Scott Walker's pathetic sandwiches and stuff. It's just like, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, like after a while, you're just like, I'm just being mean. Yeah. And I used to be the kind of person. And even when I first got back on Twitter, I still had a few of these habits, but I just quickly found that I didn't want to keep doing it. I used to be the kind of person I just argue with people for so long and things like that. Um, Cause I can be very petty and stubborn and especially I'm really stubborn when I'm pretty sure that I'm right about something. Uh, and like, especially if it's anything that uh, like, I feel like is sort of, I don't know, like as a, someone who's like more on the left, uh, you know, I'm basically kind of like an anarcho communist, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, I, tend to sometimes get really passionate about certain subjects because I see these like dangerous things happening in the world. And like, that freaks me out, right. you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so like, sometimes it's like, I really want to dig into that stuff, but honestly, I just feel better when I don't. So I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I- I'm willing to debate with a friend because right. I might actually change a friend's mind. Right. You know? Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> otherwise, no, <laughs> I'm not even good at debating with friends, honestly, because I just feel, uh, I get this, uh, if I get like a comment back from a mutual or a friend or something, that's just like, you know, I disagree or I don't like that. Like I immediately feel this like weird, uh, like, deep midwestern shame that i've upset somebody who i like and i just i (laughs) I shut down and can't like um i i I can't reply it's very hard for me to reply in like a rational way even if it's just like i think they maybe just want to have a discussion with you about like how they disagree or about this or that thing and then like i usually just like disengage you know it's just it's so like i don't even use it to like what it can be used for, which is like change the minds and influence people of like, you know, like that, you know, and you're kind of on the same page with like, so like, fuck it. I don't know. Um, have you, uh, been to therapy? I'm actually planning to start therapy soon. Hmm. Your first time. I, yeah. For the first time, I feel like there's some things that I think my mental health is okay on a lot of levels, but I feel like there are some obstacles with it that I just don't really know how to get past. Hmm. So that's where my head's been at. Um, several years ago, I took acid like 150 times. Um, in one year? And Yeah. And uh, <laughs> well, really, in two, in two separate sections over the course of like three years. But those two sections of time were very intense. And like, yeah, just I many months. So. Of just <laughs> yeah. taking, taking micro and macro doses all the time. Uh, and what prompted uh, that, uh, my mental health, (laughs) 
You just and wanted something to make you feel better or you just. Uh... It was just a thing where I just started taking acid and I started to feel like this is like therapy. Right. Um, this is like a, a way to deal with some of this stuff. Um, and so then I was just like, well, then if it's if it's like that, then I need to take a lot of it because I'm super fucked up. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I did that. Um, and yeah, took acid 150, 200. I don't really know how many times. I'm just guessing. Right. It's, it, uh, just so many times that like uh, you lose track completely of. What did it help you with? What what insights stuff. or 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 um, uh, breakthroughs, if any, did you did you have with it? Uh, well, it definitely helped me to be a more like loving person. I really struggle to externalize my emotions, um, and that applies in in particular, or definitely, especially before this, but sometimes even now, uh, it applies sometimes to like you know my ability to like. Uh, uh, love and appreciate others, friends, partners, etc. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, um, taking acid a shit ton of times made it easier for me to just tell people things that I was feeling hmm. um, and things like that. That was really good. That was really helpful. Um, I'd also say that, like, uh, I have off and on in my life had some symptoms of like disassociative identity disorder. And when I was like 19, 20 in particular, it was very severe. Uh, and I did actually, I didn't really get proper therapy, but I did seek a little bit of mental, like proper mental health care at that time. But I just didn't really like stick with it at that time. So I don't really count it. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, but that's, you know, that I was, I was bad off enough at that time. I was like, I need help. Did you know... <laughs> what it was while it was happening or was it just this completely alien indescribable because dissociation i think is really hard to even describe mm -hmm. yeah uh, i didn't know what it was at first and then eventually i discovered this term disassociative identity disorder i learned about it and i thought oh wow i right. feel less crazy this right. is exactly what's happening to me <laughs> you know uh and I mean, I would go basically, it's like when you're having dissociative identity disorder episodes, it's like periodically throughout the day, you feel like you've suddenly woken up um, and that somebody else has been in control up till now and that you don't really understand what decisions they were making or why, but now you have to deal with the situation that you find yourself in. Right. Uh, and uh it's very disorienting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, once I learned what it was, that helped a little, but the, uh, taking acid helped a lot. Mm. Like, and in fact, I'm now kind of this proponent of like, we should be encouraging the idea that people can reintegrate from this because there are some people now that are kind of pushing this like, it's okay if you have dissociative identity disorder and you can't integrate. And that, that I do agree with that, but also I think we should be emphasizing that it's possible because I took a fuck ton of acid and I feel like one person now. Right. <laughs> uh, and maybe that one person is a little messy sometimes or things like that, but I can handle all of that down. I don't have this need to try to like compartmentalize it. 
um, you know, I could just be Kennedy, this one single entity. Speaking of identity, um, let's talk a little bit about um, gender, sexuality, and uh, what your journey has been with all of that stuff. Oh, sure. Where do you want to start, I guess? I mean, (laughs) wherever you want to start. Uh, Well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, I think the important right now, especially because of all the things that are going on in the world, I really want to start at the beginning and just say, you know, this was something that it was true for me for the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I was having some of my earliest childhood memories involved, like gender identity issues. Um, We're literally talking about like being like three and four and stuff like that, you know? Right. Um, And that, you know, we live in this world right now where a lot of people want to say like, oh, well, kids can't make these decisions and like want to live in this like magical world where people just become queer at 18. But I was a queer child and I needed support and I never got it. Yeah. Ever. (laughs) Were your parents openly uh, homophobic or hostile towards uh, My parents had the attitude that a lot of boomers have, uh, I find, where they were like, Oh, well, you know, it's okay if you're queer in some way, but, you know, your life's going to be so much easier if you're just straight and quote-unquote normal. Sure. Um, not wrong. And... Not wrong, but, like, they're wrong about, like, why that is a thing. Because, like, the, the, you know, the, the, the target there is you and not the injustice of it. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it was like... That was the attitude I got a lot. And so, like, I remember when I was expressing, like, queer thoughts, especially, like, around, like, 11, 12, I was expressing a lot of queer thoughts to my parents and trying to get answers. And uh, my mom bought me this extremely unhelpful book about, like, male puberty Mm -hmm. that was supposed to, like, explain anything to me. And it's like, this explains nothing what were the the, the queer thoughts towards <laughs> towards uh, sexuality, towards uh, gender identity? Well, I mean, gender was always complicated for me because I always wanted these things that were not male mm-hmm. enough. Um, but at the same time, like uh, I, you know, identify as non-binary very clearly and strongly, and it's not. It's like I, I've never wanted to be a woman, and I'm very confident in that. And in fact. In college, I used to hang out with like a drag group and I used to do a little bit of drag and it made me feel dysphoric in a different way. <laughs> right. <laughs> like uh, it didn't make me feel comfortable. Uh, it just also felt like a different kind of performance uh, of gender that wasn't mine. And so, but so from a very young age, it was like I would want toys that weren't quote unquote correct. I want to do certain things that weren't quote unquote correct for a, right. a quote unquote male you know, a child to want to do uh, because I wasn't a male child. (laughs) I was a non-binary child. No one understood this. I don't think there was even a term for it. This was the 90s. Yeah, there pretty much wasn't. So, (laughs) Um, and so I would want to do things to like um, paint my nails, wear makeup. Um, Obviously, while we're talking right now, my nails are painted just black, which is very not edgy, but normally they're like pink or yellow or something like that. Uh, and, 
uh, I feel like anyone's allowed to paint their nails black now. Sure. I don't yeah. think that's really a thing anymore. <laughs> no, not really. I, I, you know, I have, I have uh, cis straight friends who do. I have, you know, NB friends who do. Like, it, it's, it's not really a big deal. I've tried it a couple of times and just, like, didn't feel right for me. It was just like, ah, eh, this, every time I look at it, I just feel weird. And I'm just like, nah, this just, just ain't, <laughs> like, it's, it, it, not for me, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I paint my nails, especially yellow a lot. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite colors. And, uh, it's just something that it feels more natural to me to look down at my nails and see that bright yellow nail polish than to see anything else, including just a bare nail, which looks extremely weird to me now, mm. um, <laughs> at this point in my life. So yeah, it was like, I wanted these things that were not being accepted by people around me very well a lot. That was just like a constant. Right problem growing up and so then by the time i'm like 11 12 it's like i don't really have the language at that time to even really express what i'm feeling but it's like i am trying to express some of it and so it's like i remember telling my parents like you know sometimes i feel a little like a girl and sometimes i think i might be attracted to boys and they just pretty much always just shut that down right you know uh it was not really like a conversation that we're gonna have uh, what was the temperature of like, you know, the, the, the schoolyard and, uh, your, your peers? Um, that was a little better. Cause I mean, like a lot of millennials turned out to be queer. Mm -hmm. So even if we didn't all understand what was going on, it was like, there were a lot of us that just sort of naturally banded together, even as kids and were trying to support each other to some extent. So... That was okay. Um, I did have in eighth grade, uh, I was, I'm going to say very loosely, use this word very loosely, bullied a little bit for being queer. Um, it did not affect me. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and in fact, it was a very funny situation because my mom, credit to her, she did go to the school and say that this was unacceptable, that, you know, right. that. Uh, that I was being called gay by this one kid a lot and, you know, whatever. But she, the funny thing is she was like, listen, Kennedy's fine. Like, it really isn't affecting them, but, like, you can't allow this at your school, you know? Right. <laughs> like, that was, <laughs> and that was the truth. <laughs> like, right. it really didn't bother me other than I was just like, dang, this is really weird. Why is this kid so hostile? Yeah, and you're like, but I'm, <laughs> like, and you're also like, I'm not though. I'm pretty sure I'm not actually gay. Like that's, that's, that wasn't really even the, the thing. He was gay, by the way. <laughs> he is gay. He's, ha he's happily gay now. Of course he was. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, he's married, he's married to a man and everything. I mean, it's not even like, he's very out, very happy. No, mazel. <laughs> Which is great. I'm so happy for him, honestly. Yeah. Because, um, again, it really didn't affect me that much. But I will say that it's like, I, I think that's interesting, though, because it's like, clearly, even though in my mind I was not expressing much, clearly there were kids at school, like, picking up on it and, like, in some cases even trying to bully me over it yeah. because they could tell that I was not straight. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a... <sighs> Kids, I think, especially have a, a, I don't know, a radar, you know, for lack of a better term, of like even stepping slightly outside of the like 
out of step with gender norms, especially at that age, in like middle mm-hmm. school, early high school. Uh, because, I mean, that is possibly the time in your life when you are the most, like, in, where, like, most kids, I think, are the most insanely, uh, uh, I don't know, like, gender binary because they're all full of these fucking hormones and it's all new to them and they're all, they're getting excited about, like, their, uh, you know, their, their first pubes growing in or their first, like their first bra or their first period. And like, you know, like all of this stuff is like happening to their bodies and they're like, Oh, this means like, this is all happening for me. And if they see somebody not performing that, then it's, it feels threatening, you know? And Mm -hmm. like, I, I understand often where people are coming from with that, but I, I just, I'm glad that we're kind of living in a world that's like, you know, in some places less hostile towards people who aren't uh, within or who are like slightly out of step with with gender binary stuff. And then, you know, you have everything going on in Texas and everything. But like there, there is, of course, a horrible, a horrible backlash. But just the fact that we even have language, that this is even a battle that's being fought, I think is, you know, a, a net positive. There are some positives. It's definitely something where we have to be really vigilant. And I remember last year when, you know, do you remember when like there were a lot of people posting, even some liberals and leftists, but definitely tons of conservatives. Like, why do we even have pride anymore? Right. Clearly, we're not fucking done and we're going to need pride for the rest of my natural lifespan. Okay. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) yeah, don't don't go there, folks. That's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm not I, I didn't take it from anything like from from you that way i'm just saying for the sake of anybody listening like we are clearly still fighting this battle but yeah we have seen some victories and that's cool and i do feel like it's easier in some ways for kids to grow up and be who they are now um and to like have those conversations and stuff um and you you notice differences um like one of my very good uh trans friends talks about how like sometimes she'll notice like parents going out of their way to like introduce their kids to her and it's like because they want their kids to see this you know they want their kids to grow up more educated than they grew up uh they want their kids to meet someone who's going through that and have the opportunity to ask them questions right you know um and that's really that's so different you know my parents if anything they were like reluctant to have me meet someone like that right you know um and they felt like everybody who was very proudly queer was like a problematic or messy person in some way and it's like yeah they're problematic and messy because they're openly queer in the 90s yeah i can't even imagine what that would have been like holy shit (laughs) yeah yeah it's i mean i don't know like even for me when i was a um at that age when i was you know pubescent i guess um i i i wouldn't i don't think i would identify as um queer or anything but like i was definitely more feminine than a lot of people around me were comfortable with especially at that time and like i feel like my uh gender expression has changed and sort of fluxed uh, through through my years, and like as I've gotten older, I think I've gotten more masculine. 
Um, but that was only, I, that's just because like, that's how it worked out. And it was this thing that I had to kind of take a back door, so to speak into because, um, because so much of like what traditional masculinity was being presented to me as was just like repugnant to me. And mm-hmm. I had to like distance myself from that and then find my own ways of like sort of rediscovering like aspects of masculinity that I actually liked and didn't feel like creepy and fucked up and violent towards me, you know, like, and, Mm -hmm. and so just like, you know, even for me, a kid, like I always identified as straight. I always identified as male. And yet I was slightly more kind of girly or I was more expressive or more sensitive or whatever people would, you know, pick up on that, call me gay, call me, you know, F slur this, F slur that, like it, and I felt very clearly early on that like, this is something that people want me to be like afraid of. And the fact that like growing up, Kurt Cobain was one of my main, you know, kind of like cool guy influences. It's just like, oh, he's a guy who like wears a dress and like, you know, he's, he did all of this like kind of, um, gender bending stuff and yet he was seen as like the coolest guy of the entire fucking decade um i liked that and i i sort of wanted to emulate that as as like a kid who didn't know who the fuck he was and then instantly feeling some degree of like backlash against like oh you're wearing eyeliner to school really like no that's not gonna fly here you know and and me being such a sensitive and kind of cowardly kid, like I allowed that to uh, really just scare me out of it. You know, <laughs> like it, it was just too, uh, the threat was like felt too, too intense for me to even like keep pursuing it. It makes me so happy and it gives me so much admiration when I see people who uh, are able to just like, be themselves and live in their skin and, and just like, and, and just live with that because it's not something that everybody can do, even if they want to just a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's been tough. Um, I mean, I really didn't fully come out until three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. So late twenties. Um, and, uh, you know, took me a long time. I mean, it was, even in several years before that, it, it, a lot of people kind of knew to some extent and there were a lot of, I don't know. Right. But, but I really didn't like come out and start being proud uh, until, you know, it's already pretty old because it was very hard to like feel that confidence and stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was very, it was a very complex thing. Mm-hmm. to to try to grapple with um and honestly for a lot of my like younger life i just escaped into theater like a lot of people <laughs> i think yeah that that is one uh, of the havens that is one of yeah. the one of the places well, to go because once once it provides an excuse for everything it's just like well they're just very theatrical kennedy right. is you know they're a very theatrical person uh, <laughs> and that just suddenly explains everything, you know. Right. Why is Kennedy wearing makeup to school? Well, they're very theatrical. Okay, theatrical. flamboyant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, yeah, that did help. Uh, it made it 
uh, easier for me and I was able to like uh, express a little bit in high school and stuff um, using that as my cover a lot helped that but even then I mean I had some troubles um, I actually uh, had a very interesting experience uh, towards the end of my time in high school where a teacher swore at me in a hallway for wearing feminine clothing and I got him fired. Awesome. So that was, uh, that was quite the experience. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it was not just for the record, because I, not that this would justify his behavior at all, but I do feel like this is very important. It was extremely modest clothing. Right. I, I just feel like that was always the weirdest part to me. It was, I was wearing the most modest clothing imaginable, right. but it was just feminine clothing. Right. What did he say? Uh, he said that I was like the problem with this school and like, you know, kids like me ruined everything for everyone. And he used the F word a lot, right. both F words a lot. Right. And um, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah. And then what was most interesting about that experience was that uh, he did that right outside the guidance counselor's office. So like he got fired like that week, like that, th that happened immediately. <laughs> he just couldn't hold it in. He just had to let you know. <laughs> a, a fucking, a kid. <laughs> it's like, it was very weird. Um, yeah. and it did not do much for my confidence in terms of ex gender expression, to be honest, even though it did work out in my favor. Yeah. Uh, like, he still was able to cow me a little to some extent, like and make me more fearful than I had been, which was his goal. Yeah. I mean, and like that, uh, the thing, like those, that wins a lot of the time. And I think that that's the thing is like, it's just starting to get pushed back on because I like our parents' generation, like the boomers, like that attitude one is just like, Oh, we'll scare you out of being too, too feminine if you are a you know male body person or too masculine if you're a female body person or anything like that that steps outside of the you know the lockstep is uh you it doesn't and i've said this before it doesn't even have to be expressly said to you like you don't need a teacher to just like point his fingers at you and just be like you're the problem you fucking fucking blah 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 blah, blah. like you just the way people look at you and like, mm -hmm. I, again, like as a younger kid, you know, in my like teens, maybe into my early 20s, I would present slightly more feminine from time to time because I was like, I want to look like Robert Smith. I want to look like um, I want to look like a like one of the like 80s new romantic goth guys because I think they're really cool. So I'd wear like yeah. eyeliner and lipstick and just like instantly feeling this sense of like oh i'm in danger here like i have to i should leave this diner now like you know just like the way people look at you and talk to you it just like instantly shifted and i was just like oh i'm too i'm too scared i'm too fucking scared to even like walk around like this so like this stops now and i'm just i'm going yeah. back to just like dressing like a boy and there's the internalized gaze too i mean i, I mean i'm sure that once or twice you just couldn't even leave the house looking the way you wanted to, right? Yeah. You know, because it's like, even without somebody else doing it, we've all internalized these like societal perceptions. And so it's like, sometimes it's like, it's 
it's tough to even just like get past the voices in your own head, I mean, much so, less deal with yeah. the stares. Just <laughs> yesterday, um, I, I so I just recently started doing uh, jujitsu, um, just as like a, I don't know, I, I just find it interesting and cool. Um, and I was, we were doing, you know, we were rolling, we were all in our geese and whatever, and I felt myself get self-conscious about like the way I was acting and talking and was just like, am I being too like, cause I was like commenting on like, wow, it's crazy how like how easily like this move just like flips you over on your back. And like, and I noticed this sense of like almost, I don't know, self self hate or something where I was just like, I'm, I'm such a like, I'm so girly compared to everybody here and they're going to know and they're going to know what a fucking pussy I am and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, first of all, like the guy over there, the purple belt, who's like way better than you or the person you're rolling with. He's gay. He's openly gay. And you know, like, this is not that kind of gym and like, everybody's okay with it. Like, what are you doing? Like, it only matters to you. And like, I check myself sometimes when I'm in like particularly masculine circles. Like I work as like a mover sometimes. And so it's just like, I'm hanging out with like a bunch of fucking teamsters mm-hmm. and we're all wearing our car hearts and shit. And like, I'm sure you've, <laughs> I'm sure you've done this too. Like you worked in construction and worked on a farm. Mm-hmm. Like that's like manly labor or whatever. And to yep. feel like almost like I, I feel like I code switch a little bit in those circles where I'm just like, okay, like I'm going to, dig in and be a little bit more masculine and like wear a little bit more of a masculine mask, so to speak in, in this. Space. Yeah. You know, when I was farming North Carolina, I knew how to code switch a little bit to get people to take me seriously. Right. I mean, you have like, it sucks, but you, you have to in some places. And it's just like, I mean, I've talked about this. I talked about this with um friend of the show, Jake Flores. Like, I, I don't think mm-hmm. it's his observation, but like, uh, you know, we talked about just masculinity as a prison. It's just a fucking jail cell. It's just this walled uh, parameter that you have to stay inside of and like act a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way, you know, and talk a certain way. And just it's exhausting, man. And like, I just can't fucking do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Right. Kennedy Cooper, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a really lovely conversation. Um, If people want to find you and your work, uh, you got anything to plug? I mean, we said a little bit at the beginning, but this now is the time to repeat all of that. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is uh, follow me on Twitter at Kennedy T. Cooper. Uh, I keep all my projects at least somewhat up to date on there. Uh, It's really the only social media platform that I'm super active on. So, uh, you know, if you want to know what I'm up to, it's Twitter. It's that's where it's happening. Sure. <laughs> um, and in fact, I've been doing a lot of Twitter spaces and stuff, too. So really, like, that's where it's happening. People actually use those. Like, I'm, I'm surprised that that's like a thing that actually stuck with the spaces because it, it feels like, you know, they 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 do that. They're a tech company. They'll flail and they'll like make a thing. And it's like this isn't going anywhere. But it seems like spaces are actually kind of a thing. They're actually kind of a thing. Um, I'm really enjoying them, actually. Uh, I've been doing, um, one space semi-regularly, uh, that's, uh, making fiction less problematic. And it's a space where we talk about 
games and tabletop and writing and mm. screenplays and all that kind of stuff and uh how you know imperialism and sexism and racism and homophobia is really deeply ingrained into a lot of our favorite media what do we do about that oh yeah it is um and uh that's a really fun space, honestly. Like it might sound intense, but honestly, it, a lot of it is just like us just running Joss Whedon over with a car <laughs> repeatedly, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> things like that. Um, <laughs> uh, and just having fun with it. Um, so I've been doing that semi-regularly. Uh, that one's a little bit in flux right now because my schedule's been a little crazy, but uh, we do that as much as we can, at least like once a week, usually. Uh, and then uh, I've also been doing some other stuff and I'm going to be doing a, I'm actually going to be running a tabletop RPG over Twitter spaces that will have some audience participation elements. Oh man. So okay, uh, that's a thing that's going on. So yeah, I like Twitter spaces. It's, it's actually a very cool thing. I get on a lot of my friends, Twitter spaces to hang out, make a lot of cool friends that way, get cool followers that way, right. make new mutuals that way, etc. Like it's a good way to connect with folks and it's actually like pretty neat. Um, the only thing is they need to actually, now that it's taking off, they need to actually support it. Because uh, right now, it still only works on your fucking phone. Yeah. So, like, you are you see me right now. I have a nice microphone. Um, it's something that I invested in so that I could be more professional in this media shit. Right. Uh, I would like to use it on my fucking Twitter spaces. Twitter, yeah. thank you. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> like they, they only expect people to use it on their phones now. That's what's weird, like, because I... You know, now that I've taken it off my phone, it's just like I check in on the desktop and it's just like, oh, clearly there's not meant for like they they have they're really abandoning this aspect, this facet of of the platform. Yeah, so Everybody on their phones, uh, Twitter spaces is cool. Also, uh, I do a podcast called the Sentai Truther Club that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, it's a podcast about the Power Rangers and everyone should listen to it because it's really fun and we have so many great people on it i know you mentioned jake flores he's actually coming on for an episode soon oh sweet uh and uh we've had uh some other folks from pod dam in the past uh we've had leslie lee we've had carl za we've had some really unusual folks okay last question what would so. your power ranger be what would your color be what would your uniform look like what would your uh your your zord be um you know, so this is actually tough for me because yellow is my favorite color. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the show, I have a lot of affinity for some of the pink rangers. Uh, in particular, like uh, Emma from uh, Dino or no, sorry, uh, Megaforce uh, is like one of the most incredible power rangers ever. She just like willpowers her way out of situations that are supposedly unbeatable when like everyone else has like given up hope. And I really relate to that. Uh, so I'm torn a little bit on the color. I think ultimately I would have to go pink just because I want to be I want to be in in the lineage of the pink rangers. Sure. I mean, you could do, <laughs> you could do pink and yellow. Uh, they go well together. That's like flaming lips aesthetic. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, especially if I could have the pink Megaforce outfit that has some gold on it. I love that. There you go. Um, one of the greatest ranger outfits. Um, and then uh, I think, uh, ooh, my Zord, I'm a classic in some ways. So I think I would kind of want a Dino Zord. Mm -hmm. um, but also then there's a part of me that's like, you know, Sabertooth Tiger, 
that's always been a one of my favorite Zords that has ever existed. That was in the original uh, run, wasn't it? That, that was, was in the, the original, Ranger, right? Mm-hmm. She was Sabertooth. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trini. That's a prehistoric animal. It counts. It counts. Um, <laughs> so I think that's one of my favorites. So I think if I could have Yellow Ranger Zord with a Pink Ranger outfit, damn. I'd be unstoppable. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. This was great. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'd be glad to come back sometime, especially because I feel like the theme of the show, I'm supposed to talk more about failures. I had some in mind. Uh, but... <laughs> that's sort of like the elevator pitch for the show. But honestly, <laughs> it's become its own thing. And like we so rarely even talk about failure. If I would love to have you back on and talk about uh, failure stuff. But like it's just that like the, the conversation has moved into all these other like the themes of the show have opened up into like more like mental health and day jobs and society and capitalism and stuff that, 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 that like failure sometimes doesn't even come up at all anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't disappointing the audience. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> what audience. All right. Thank you once again to Kennedy Cooper for being on the show. That was a fun talk. I would love to have them back. Oh, by the way, uh, my uh, Power Ranger uh, coordination, my 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 Power Ranger getup would be. Um, I'd have to go with black, you know, because I have goth tendencies. I would probably pick. Oof, as far as my Zord. I think I'd go with a woolly mammoth. I have, I'm pretty fond of woolly mammoths. If we're talking just like prehistoric, like dinosaur, classic dinosaur zords or prehistoric animal zords, I think that's what I'd go with. Woolly mammoth, black. I think that's, I think that's my thing. Or if we're doing like any animal, mm, that opens it up into a whole thing. What would I pick? Gorilla? Bear. I'd probably go bear. I love bears. I don't know. Just so you know. So, follow me, Brad Pearson, at Bradical Pearson, on social media, Instagram and Twitter. I'm not really tweeting much these days, but I'll be back. That's at Bradical Pearson. Uh, follow the show, at SelfWorst, on just Instagram. I'm still posting plenty on Instagram. Uh, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, sure. I don't know if people actually look at the ratings on uh, Spotify, but go ahead. Do me a solid. You can uh, you can put it you can you can put a uh, this story. You can put it on your Instagram stories. Speaking of Instagram, screenshot the uh, the, the the podcast. And uh, that you're listening to right now, and then put it on your Instagram stories and tag me, tag the show, and I'll put it on there. I feel like I'm having a hard time getting through this intro and outro. I'm tired. It's like 10 p.m., and uh, I got the house to myself. Caitlin's off. She's seeing Patty Lapone or some shit. And, you know, as much as I like having her around and living with her and love our life together, it is nice having the house to myself. 
no matter what your living situation or relationship situation is, it's just nice to have the house to yourself for a while, right? So I was really looking forward to this, and I was like, I'm going to record the intro, outro, we're, we're going to get real productive. And I just got tired. So that's why I'm kind of stumbling through this intro and outro. It's almost over, folks. We're almost through it. In fact, I got like two more things to tell you. Music is by Shea Bartel. That's one more thing. And the last thing that I will tell you is I love you. Thank you for listening. You're my best friend. I love you. I kiss you on the lips. I die for you. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.